0: Love Talk Radio.
1: If I speak for your followers, and I speak for your ex-followers, and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad. They Wrong absolutely believed his own bullshit. Now, does that mean he believes it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yes, yeah, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. Do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is a culture in Scientology that children are not children. So, yeah. Welcome to, welcome to Come Get Some Extra Scientology with Miriam Francis. And you know, she was on the first episode of season two with Sina Kamula, who I talked to a couple, a couple weeks ago. And, uh, these ladies have been through a ton of crap and they continue to go through so much and have developed a dialogue with both of these people um all fairita has been pretty amazing and doing pretty uh pretty helpful and uh and help me understand um what goes on there because coming from nowhere on this subject I, I worry what I might say and do uh to trigger or anything like that but they're just so amazed how well-adjusted uh, Sina was, and there's no exception with Miriam on this one today. She's amazing. Uh, she came ready with policies. Uh, I think you're going to really love this. Here is – oh, let me tell you uh, before I get into it. Uh, I announced that next week on Thursday will be Part 2 of Tara O'Reilly, another amazing individual. And uh, part Friday would be Part 2 of Miriam Frances. Of course, it slipped my mind. That's Thanksgiving week. Um I am going to take that week off of podcasting. So we'll have to wait next week. I know a lot of people will be traveling. A lot of people won't be able to listen anyway. So in two weeks, on Thursday, part two of Tara Riley. And on Friday, uh, part two of Mary and Francis will be playing. Uh, but yeah, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy this one. Here you go with Miriam uh, Mary and Francis part one. Alright, today I'm uh, glad to be able to have with the show today uh, from the first episode of Science Aftermath season two. Uh, Miss Miriam Francis, thank you for coming on the show, Miriam.
2: Hi, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh no, I'm. I'm it's it's my pleasure. We've been talking. We've been chatting uh, for for weeks now, uh, chatting, planning this uh, this meeting here.
2: Yeah, um, just on um, a few for messages. Um, but first time speaking on the phone, so really lovely. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Really appreciate you giving me some time to.
1: Top of Let's get through them. I mean, uh, uh, this, you got you got the money I sent you. You got the script. We're ready to go, right? <laughs> <Days and size. laughs> okay, excellent. All right, all right. Remember the, the disclosure there. Uh, just to be just to be fair, like like I've said before, I I offer Claire Headley a cookie to come on, and she wouldn't even take the cookie with the shipping. It wasn't going to happen. Oh, Can't. No one wants to accept anything for these interviews because it's so much uh, <laughs> scrutiny behind it. So anyway, yeah, talk about... I
2: just wanted to say, um, just on that point, like what I've realized recently is that I actually have to actively campaign. Like I have got um, a child sexual abuse um, case in this LACD, and I actually have to actively campaign. Like just talking to you, this is kind of a part of it as well. Um, and like, no, I don't receive any sort of reward for it, but um, in order to get my case heard and issues heard, I have to be really active and do these types of things, and that's something that I've just realized. Um, And it's a shame that someone would have to do that, but we do. We need need to speak out on them.
1: Okay. Is it getting easier now that you've been on TV uh, doing this? Now that you've been on Aftermath, is it easier to come on? I've seen you go on other radio shows and and podcasts. Is is this uh, better?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think every time it gets a little bit easier. Um, There's definitely a lot of nervousness. It's not something that I'm completely familiar or comfortable with. Right. Going on the show was the first step, um, in doing that and, uh, I guess, you know, having a public sort of voice, um, it gave me that confidence and, and from there, I mean, I knew how passionate I was about these issues, but from there it's sort of really become a driving force in me, um, because I know how important it is and
1: I know how needed it is,
2: um, there's so many victims that are scared. So I've got to do this. I'm here
1: and, yeah. I can imagine this is difficult for you just to walk into a police station and talk to the police officer or a detective. Absolutely. By itself has got to be nerve-wracking, let alone being on TV, being on a podcast, uh, uh, being uh, interviewed for articles. You only only want to have to as as someone who's been victimized in this way. I imagine you only want to have to talk about it the one time and be done with it. So it's, it's got to be hard.
2: Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And, I mean, where I am at today is a completely different um, situation to where I was, like, when I first walked into the police station, it was back in 2012, wow. and saw my police report. And I cannot tell you, I was absolutely terrified. I had so many emotions. I actually remember driving around. The police station was on the, on the corner block in my um, My local suburb, and I, you know, I drive past it. I have my eye on it, and then I drive around it, and I drive around the corner, and I drive back, and I just—it took so long for me to actually walk in there. Um, It was completely terrifying. And from taking that first step, um, I've taken so many little tiny tiny baby steps that you know most people would not even have seen even people closest to me. I take little tiny 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 steps. And that's what it takes to get to where I am now. And it's been a massive journey. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But, and as I said, like, the aftermath gave me the confidence to, um, the confidence in my voice, I would say, that like, so I have something important to say here. So.
1: And, and there's nothing to be worried about. People aren't going to judge you. And, and I think the, what, what I wanted to get at was, because it's easy for me to sit here as someone who's never been through any of the things you've been through. It's easy for me to sit here and say, file your police reports, file your police reports. You need to file your police reports. Given that you've done this yourself, you've been through the trauma of it, you've been through the the, the, the uh, trials of it, do you still recommend, would you say just as strongly people should be following their police reports?
2: I absolutely do recommend it. Um, I found that in every case where I just took a little bit of that power back, um, where I Got a bit more of that control back, and those things were like filing police reports. Um, that empowered me just a little bit more because what happens um, during child sexual abuse and rape or sexual assault is your power gets massively taken away from you. Um, this person has dominated you; they have made you feel um, so helpless. Um, I'm getting a little bit emotional, actually. Um, yeah, so for me, it's like every single time I've done any of those little tiny steps, to take that power back, that really helped me on my journey. Um, it's sort of helped me stay in survival mode, I guess, um, rather than um, completely collapsing and mm-hmm. doing that. Um, mm-hmm. That's why it's been important for me. But I would say that you know every person's journey is individual to them. It's about um, It's about, you know... Self-care, so throughout, um, what I've done is I've constantly checked in with myself like, okay, how am I feeling at this stage? Do I keep pressing with this? Because there's times when the case is uh, sold. yeah, just are not going anywhere. Like I was filed in 2012, it's 2017, and I really, you know, am not much further. <laughs> Nothing. He's not like he's not even uh, been charged officially, right? So it's right. I mean, what you're up against, and um, and it can be pr- pretty devastating, that process. Uh, it's also, I mean, you know, you'll reliving details. I would say, number one, counseling support through the entire process. Yes. Before, during, after, absolutely 100%. And in working with your counselor, you know, work out what you can handle, what you can do. If it's too much, then it's too much. It's all about the self-care. It's all about looking after the victim. Um, it is important to file police
1: reports. 100%. Um, yeah. I'll, yeah. Yeah. Not everybody has to be on TV or be on the bunker or be on this yeah. podcast or be. Not everybody has to be public about it. But what I talked to Sina about that I thought it was really, really crucial and important. And I don't want to guilt people. I don't want to give because I know uh, Sina made a good point to to make sure people understood. Be ready to do it. Don't just do it. You know. Uh, if you're not ready for it, but please file your reports because what happens with you and Sina is you go in, in 2017 even, you go in and you hear from the police officers, although it was LAPD, which we have lots of questions about, right? But uh, you, could, you go and you tell them and they tell you there's no cooperating witnesses or, or stories. There's no other people who who complained. I guarantee you in most cases, yours might be unique because of this. you know, we know the circumstances, but in most cases, you know, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty certain there's probably other victims.
2: Absolutely. Um, definitely um, with the person um, that was involved um, with time hey, um, is, I know for sure that there's definitely um, other victims. Um, I mean, the trouble we have is that these victims are in time holidays.
1: They never left. And
2: they haven't left yet. Um, it could be, you know, it's a matter of time. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, um, and so here's the other thing as well with law enforcement, and this is why, um, so Sina and I I think we're very much on the same page. Um, we are very aware of, like, how traumatizing this process can be, um, and one thing, so for example, in California, they only recently lifted up the um, statute of limitations. So. And they said to China, when um, we met with the police detectives, they were like, oh, it's so great that you're reporting this now because if you reported it last year, you wouldn't have had a case. Wow. I mean, that is the insanity of it. I and mean, this is where my, um, and that's why I, and yes, yeah, but this is where my case is stolen. Because I filed in Australia in 2012, they need to determine, and it basically, then it was sent to the U.S. Um, authorities. So all the evidence was gathered, and... Was diligently, the whole process was diligently done by Australian police. Um, I really respect the investigator that was in my case. And then it was submitted um, to the prosecution team, um, and then it was said, well, this needs to be handled in the US because he is located in the US. Um, So it was sent over, apparently, it goes via Interpol, and then it would have gone basically they don't know where. And so what LAPD is trying to determine, when I lodged my case in 2017 earlier this year, uh, they're trying to determine when that, where that paperwork went to, when it was lodged, because if it was lodged the year before, or before the statute of limitation was lifted, then I don't have a case. Um, and so I totally relate to SINA on that point of just how devastating and how disappointing that process can be. Um, because literally, when they find this paperwork, they're going to tell me, okay yes, we got it last uh, before the fact of limitations where no, you don't have a case, or uh, yes, we've only just gotten it now or this year, so you have a case. Um, it doesn't change what happened to me, but it,
1: it's all right.
2: about the laws and what they can do and the limitations um, that are in that. Uh, it's very disappointing to me that I, I, all I want to do is I want to see my day in court. I just want to state my case in court. It took me so much to get to where I am, to be able to Um, you know, have the guts to stand up in the way that I have, and I just want to see the evidence laid out and for them to give me a chance for justice. And I haven't been given that yet.
1: Wow, it's 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 wow. Yeah, Uh, can you take me into the mind maybe of these people who are still in Scientology? Do they have it? Not is it not clicked for all of them yet? Do you think what happened to them? Do you think they've during denial? Or do you think they just...
2: Absolutely.
1: Just denial, you yeah. think?
2: Um, definitely. Um, I think they have a process of uh, what's happened. I think that's the biggest thing. Look, like, I don't think they're actively in denial. I think there's no allowance to process these kinds of feelings. Um, Asana mentioned about the tone scale. Um, mm-hmm. a bit about that as well. And, you know, you're not allowed to go below these certain tones, and these certain tones that you're not allowed to be in is like, you're not allowed to be a victim, that's really bad. Um, you're not right. allowed to be, you know, grief. You're not allowed to express loss. You're not allowed to be angry about something. Um, and it really constricts you emotionally, especially, that was given into us um, as children. Like, I remember um, we had to recite it back, you know, we had to learn it verbatim um, as a child. So it's very indoctrinated into our upbringing. Now, I do want to say, um, talk a bit about um, what, you know, um, not about trying to say sorry directly, but about the other people that uh, uh, were aware of it, or the other children that were affected Sure. By this like I remember, um, so this occurred at the APA, um, and I remember it kind of being like a bit of a running joke between the kids. This is how, sort of, like, aware that we were, was that, like, oh, um, you know, such and such, his big penis, that's his big pencil poking out, um, Mm. you know, like, it was something that was talked about, like, oh, don't sit on his lap because his big pencil will poke you, like, that kind of thing, like, amongst the
1: kids. Oh, my God.
2: um, I also Ah. remember seeing... Um, like young girls would run up to him and he would pick them up and hug them and he would just really hold them very tightly to his body for an extra amount of time That as a kid when I saw that I was like that's weird that's odd I don't understand that
1: fully but I don't like that I don't like seeing that Um, that's natural that's a natural reaction that is a natural reaction that is not an engram by the way (laughs) no of
2: course (laughs) Um, I just felt uh, that there was something not right about that, um, although I didn't have information to sort of process like what exactly that was. Right. Um, I mean, bearing in mind, like, I was sexually abused for a number of years, and I still hadn't worked out what that was either. Um, so, yeah, as a kid, you sort of speak about things differently.
1: Wow, and that was, this is the, the overall experience. I mean, you have no... You guys were at the ATA ranch and you had no real guidance, did you? You had no real you had no real leadership. It was just to your own devices it seems.
2: Yeah, well um the adults were just simply outnumbered. Um and I've got a reference here, um, where it talks about let me go back to you, actually. Um Yeah, I'll go into these a bit later, but it talks about this ratio and um, basically that how the the staff are just completely outnumbered by the children. So with that, like, you just have an inability to look after these children properly. Also, the kids have no one to go to. I remember when I was, um, uh, when I arrived as the CER, I was six years old, and I was probably about six or seven the first time um, I got really sick. I had the flu, and... There was so many kids running around, it was just complete confusion. There was most likely over 100 a hundred children there, and of varying ages. And I just lay down in the yard uh, on a bench, and I just lay there. Um, so I was so sick. And eventually, an adult finally found me, picked me up, and put me into the isolation ward, just where they care for the sick. The second time that I got sick. I remembered that that had happened the first time. Mm-hmm. So I actually literally did the same exact thing. So again, when I, was, I would say I was about six years old when both of these things happened. Um, the second time, I was like, okay, well, the last time I got sick, I laid on the on this bench in the middle of the yard, and it, uh, it was an adult found me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do that again, because that worked out last
0: time.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, the, the confusion of it, the amount of children versus adults, It's like you just couldn't even see the adults for the sea of children. Um, wow. You certainly didn't feel like you had any kind of, like, voice or right or anything, or a particular person to go to, you didn't have that kind of relationship, and you had absolutely no contact with your parents. Like, I, I was not aware that I could pick up the phone and call my parents at any particular time. Um, we had very limited contact with them, so,
1: yeah. That brings up a... My
2: parents wouldn't even have known that I was sick, you know, when that
1: happened. That brings up a couple of questions there. Uh, one, the only way you figure you'd get care is if you laid on a bench in the middle of a bunch of children in the playground. That was the only way you knew to get help.
0: Years old. Yeah.
1: Now care, if I understood correctly, after talking to a, a couple other people who've been on the ranches, care consists of being put, like you said, in the isolation ward, which is just a yeah. a place where a bunch of sick people keep treating germs. Is that about right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were put into, um, they called the ISO, which was is short for isolation. That was usually a room. Um, and this carried through all the way up um, throughout when I was in the Sea Org. It's basically, and it, maybe it comes from the ship, you have a large group of people, a large amount of people in the one sort of area. They need to isolate you from the entire group. It's not like in the normal society where you have your own house, you just go home. In the
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: it's also, I mean, we didn't even go to the doctor's. Literally, just were put in this room. It would give you vitamins, vitamins, water, vitamins, food. um, Check on you, check your temperature. Basically, you know, monitor, and that that
1: was it. Did anyone ever die in there?
2: Not as I recall.
1: Okay, all right.
2: Um, I was actually I was sick pretty often throughout my childhood. So I
1: ended up in their now Now that brings up another question is, were you in trouble for that? Did they look down on you or were you treated differently because you were always sick? Does it mean there was something wrong in their minds with something you were doing that made you sick all the time?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, they have a thing called PCS handling. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so then that's how you would be treated and you'd have to do a PCS handling. Um, certainly, like... It's an indicator that something is not right with you. Like, that there's some situation that needs to be that handled. if you're sick. It's not because you're sick. so because you're ill or um, there's a reason for that. And then there's, like, handling that
1: you do. So I haven't really gotten into too many people. I've talked to a lot of, I've talked, now more than ever, I've talked to people who were children in Scientology. And one thing that I haven't really hit on that I wanted to was the treatment you get in these situations is no different than the adults get treated as far as you're now now you're PTS and now you have to be audited or did you have to get sex checked?
2: Um, yeah, I never had to get sex checked um, for being sick. Um, and, and, yes, on that point, um, adults, the children were treated as adults, absolutely. Um, I was, however, sex checked uh, when I was leaving, when I was riding out at 17 old in the C organization, they actually started fact checking me, questions about what my father did to me. Like, specifically? You... Specifically. Oh, wow. Specifically, 100%. I mean, your thought, like, what did you do? What did you, like, yes, yeah, what did you do here? What did you, I, I, I was like, I was completely, like, appalled. I was like. Oh
1: Oh, it wasn't what did he do, it was what did you do?
2: I'm oh, sorry. Yes. Like, what did?
1: Um, oh wow.
2: Reference to this happening. What did you do? How did you make this happen?
0: Oh wow. Like
2: I yeah. was four years old and I was sleeping.
0: Yeah.
2: me. Like it just really doesn't oh. anymore. Reverse around like that. Like confessional style on the in their quote unquote sort of lie detector thing uh, when I was 17 years old, asking me about how sexual abuse that I experienced when I was from a about three to four years old, um, eight years old, they were asking me like, "What did you do?" Um, it's insanity, it's complete insanity when it comes to those sort of situations. And I actually got so upset and I actually started yelling. Um, I think there was like four questions that were specifically designed um in, uh, around that. And as I said, I, re- I initially started answering the questions, but then I realized what was happening, and I was like. You're insane. This is crazy. Um, yeah. And so the auditor, the person that's doing the counseling with you, um, they actually submit your folder as you're doing the counseling. They submit. And actually, I brought it up with my counselor, or the auditor, the auditor in order to get help with it. And they, and so that went into my folder that was submitted. And then a case supervisor looks over your folder and recommends you to the next step. The next step was questions and interrogating me about how I uh, was responsible for my own sexual abuse as the child. Like, it's
1: crazy. So, yeah. Okay, so help me out with this, because I'm not, I'm not clear on this. I know some other people are going to be clear on it. I think I'm dim for asking this after covering this for a year. But um, yeah. the and I have trouble saying this word. Is it secrecy? Uh, uh, the, they call the files protected? Protect
2: yeah. Privilege. That.
1: Yeah. yeah. So the I know the audits are that, but are the, are the sex checks that? I feel like the sex checks aren't. Yeah,
2: I'm not 100% sure, um, but I can tell you that it's very arbitrarily used, that idea. So, for example, uh, if someone left them spoke out, you know, their are older the become, and um, if it's an information with them, they're released by in various ways, which is me or that person. However, for example, when my father confessed to sexually abusing me, you know, this would have come to light between somewhere around 1997 and 1998. I believe it's 1997. Um, and he, when I was 12 years old, he, it came up in his confessional, his sexual And he was then called to do a handling. He came to the ranch and visited me and confessed to me in person when I was 12 years old. He also confessed to my mother. Now, um, there was never a police report filed. So, whereas they do use some of this information for their own purposes, they don't use it in order to help victims, they don't use it to expose child sexual abuse instances. Yeah. So basically, they sort of use
1: it for evil and not good. Right. They'll use it uh, against somebody, but they won't use it to help somebody. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm thinking that if, if legally somehow they, the government could get a hold of sex checks, your specifically and your dad specifically is all the evidence you need. It's a confession.
2: Absolutely. Um, also, when he left the Orgs in 2002 um he left via like he would have he routed out so he would have done another full confessional then and was, um because it was um he was actually leaving because of what he did that, by that stage this was many years after it was originally found out um but obviously through public pressure and public awareness mm-hmm. he actually combed through all the records and went okay who's going to be a liability to us legally let's offload them so he went through um, a believing process himself then, and he would have done a very sort of detailed, in-depth confessional. If that could be a I mean, that would be my case right there, like case closed. So, yeah, there's a lot of information that they're holding that could help many victims, um, and they won't do it because they perceive that it's going to affect um, their their status or I guess affect their um, public relations. They want it. They want it to be believed that there are no sexual predators within Scientology, and that's
1: just simply not true. Uh, I would say any big corporation. Not say corporation, but with over ten million members, which they claim, and we know probably, you know, unless, no, it isn't true. But uh, if you had that many people, there's so much of that kind of behavior in the world in general, it would exist within the walls of Scientology. And you would think they would want to proudly, proudly wipe the slate at that and say, we have prosecuted this many people because we don't tolerate that here. But no, they don't. They'd rather just put up the front and everybody sees through it. It's insane.
2: Absolutely, and um, I had that impression um, that you just sort of described, like, in 2013, my um, my brother, who is still in this year to this day, um, we used to have a very, very close relationship, but he would tell me all the time, like, whenever we talked about Scientology, you know, oh, it changed so much. Oh, Mary, we should see it today. It's it's amazing what we're doing. With this you know, what we're doing is so great, and it's changed so um, so far since you were here. And it's so much better now. And I was like, okay, great. Like, I'm definitely going to give that the benefit of the doubt. But in 2013, I contacted my mother um, when I was involved in, you know, uh, the police case um, the providing evidence. And the investigator asked me, you know, is there anyone else that would be willing to provide a statement that could support what you're saying? And I said, well, I'm going to ask my mother. So I called her and asked her, and um, she said that she would need to consult internally with the church before she answered me. Um, it actually took her three weeks to get back to me, and um, because she basically started ignoring me. Like, she would write an email to me, and he was like, I, I was pregnant at the time, so she would be like, this was my first baby,' she'd be like, oh, you know, have you looked into hospitals? And I'd say, um, mom, you haven't answered my question. Are you going to help me with this, please take or off? And then she'd be like, oh, the weather is amazing, or, you know what I mean, like, complete, like, diversion. She just wouldn't answer it. Um, and then I also called and left some messages. So finally she called me and she said, look, I realize that you're not going to give up on this. But she thought that just by her ignoring me, I was just going to walk away. And um, so in the phone conversation, she's like, but so now I have to address this with you. Like basically you forced me to... Uh, right. decision on this. And she said, um, no, I will not no, I'm not willing to provide a statement for the police. And I was devastated. Because I remember talking to a friend before that thing. She's like, I was like, Oh, I'll that's, uh, that's my mom when to hear back. And she was like, okay, well, just be, you need to be, um, just be aware that she might say no. And I was like, she's not going to say no. But they've changed so much. They've come so far. I mean, this is modern times. It's like, happens to Catholic Church. Like, surely they know all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure they're, they're a great organization these days and they wouldn't protect a sexual abuser of, of a child. No way, this is your no way. And she said, well, just be prepared, you know, that she might say no. And she was very worried about me, uh, how that would affect me. And I just, you know, I just I was like, I just didn't believe it. And my mom said no, and I was so devastated. I just was like, wow. Well,
1: it's your mom. I mean, your. are <laughs> Your parents are supposed to protect you. And what you had was yeah. one who um, absolutely did the opposite and the other one uh, re- refused. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and um, also, like, I've never asked my mom for anything. Like, growing up, you know, I was in the cadet. She really didn't have, she didn't raise me, Rachel, And she really didn't have to, I mean, the church allowed her to really not take a huge part in my life. Um, The church took care of me, you know, in that way, or the church raised me, and she wasn't really involved. Um, We certainly didn't have, like, a natural or normal mother-daughter relationship. She just wasn't very involved in my life, Um, and, I mean, her first priority was the organization, so, and definitely her children came um, by far, you know, second or last to that, but, um, yeah, I never, I never asked her for anything growing up. I never, uh, even when, yeah. I mean, I left. I had no money. Um, I had to start my life over, and um, there was never any sort of requirement for her to look after me. So here I was, as an adult. This is the one thing that I would, I wanted some help with um, from her, and
1: it's a big one.
2: Let's do it. it was, yeah.
1: yeah, it was devastating. It really, really was. I'm sorry that happened that way. And, and I want to understand, and, and there's no way to possibly understand, I guess, you know, what's going through these parents' minds because there's so many parents, and I think it still happens today, that uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the almost, uh, it's almost a relief. Well, I don't have to take care of my kids anymore. I'm going to be busy doing something even greater, which is a really screwed up mindset. Yeah, um, I think
2: that it was a very gradual effect. Um, but I don't think that any of them went into this You're going, oh, great, free childcare. care right. i got my kids here. This was a very um, gradual thing. And this is why, actually, this would be a great point for me to sort of read some references. Because what I want to talk about here is the Church of Scientology really interjected itself in between the parents and the children. And the parents didn't have like a direct um, involvement with the case, like, it was very limited. Um, so there's like there a designated family time, that kind of thing. But beyond that, like uh, a parent didn't really have a say in the kids' lives and, and how they were raised. Um, so the church was definitely very much um, involved in that way. And I noticed that it was gradual. So when our, like when our parents first got involved, there was bit sort of family time. I think there was a regular family time every day. Um, and then from there, it just got reduced. Family time was canceled, um, leading up to like, you know, what now went to the ranch um, when basically I sold my parents very, very little because we were just like in this isolated all the school. Um, yeah. So um, it's something that happens gradually, but also the. York has enforced that, and that, actually, yes. Yeah, so I'll just cover some references here. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so the first thing i the to say as well, what has been really rewarding um, since speaking out is like, um, you know, I've got my experience of how I was raised in the Caddo, but leading on from that, I got to be involved um, with some other second generation um, people who had grown up as children in
1: it. Yeah
2: having access to references that actually describe, so there's one thing for me to experience it, but to actually see the policies that say, that actually dictated my experience, that actually caused me to have that experience. It's very enlightening. Um, it's healing for me. I don't know. I can't explain it. But to have answers and to have question right. I think, helps so much. To see things in writing that said, you know, yeah. So. Um, OK, so then also, um, so there are plenty of references um, that are pretty harmless going back to the you know, 60s and 70s and that sort of thing, um, things that were written by Alan Hubbard. Um, and what I wanted to say is I'll, I'm going to touch on three references here mm-hmm. that are from 1996. to actually refer back to those previous references. So um, like for anyone that might want to say, well, Those other references are old, they're from the 70s or the 80s or um, 60s, they're not relevant, but here we have a reference from 1996, it's called the Sea Org and Children, and um, it was created by the International Management Executive Committee, and it's referencing all these other flag orders, things like cadets, there's one called cadet children designation, one called governors your policies on children. So all these previous references that span all these other years, it's still what they do is they refer to them and then they create new policies based on them. So they're very relevant um, and they don't, like anything that's written by LRA is not canceled. So, um, okay. So here's one called The Fjord and Children. And um, it's talking about here um, that um, the Fjord moved from the ship to the land. And it says later, after the Fjord moved ashore and established land bases, some couples began to have children. While not presenting the practical difficulties of life at sea, this second dynamic activity nevertheless proved non-optimum with respect to the Fjord's third and fourth dynamics. So basically, from the outset of saying, well, uh, these children are a problem for us. Right. They don't align with what our purposes are. So, sorry, this is a reference from 1996, 30 November 1996, called The Sewers and Children.
0: Um,
2: and I'm just reading off some highlighted points here. Sure. Um, it says it is, it is a matter of reality that the parent of a newborn or small child is not really available to perform this basic duty. So, as in looking of parenting, so are not able to perform that being in the CEO. Parenthood to this significant degree takes a fear member off his or her full purpose, functions, and duties. Thus, the reality of your life clashes with our basic respect and affinity for children. Um, so, they're saying that children should have a certain degree of care, the of basic cannot um, provide that. This is not a place for kids. Right. Um, And okay. So, and then it says um, children in the sea org. Um, we did this is from an evaluation, and okay. Our investigation and evaluation reveals yet another arbitrary, that is, young children are couples who join the field or parents returning from class 5 work had automatically been accepted into our child care facilities provided they were at least 6 years old. It was assumed they would, this is after obviously originally it was babies to be accepted in, in of years. it was assumed they would also join the field as cadets within a few years.
1: A few years. Okay, so,
2: <laughs> yeah, right, from 6 years old, they would... They assumed that they would join the CEOs within a few years. As a child. And then it says age alone was an altered important and the wrong target. The correct criterion was whether the young person was capable of making an informed, self determined choice to join the CEOs on the same terms as the rest of us. The minimum age for that decision is now ten years old. Uh, so while they're saying uh, So while they're saying here, okay, now we've come to the conclusion that we're kind of forcing these kids and we just assume that they would want to do this. That's not the case. We need to give them some determination um, and allow them to decide themselves. But we're, we're telling them to decide at the And for me, that is insanity because this child is, their parents are Scientologists. They're most likely have been raised in a Scientology environment. Their parents are very dedicated considering they're going to be you know, dedicating their lives to the field. Uh, they're in an environment that is weird, and they've been raised to um, be on that path.
1: Groomed for it. Ten
2: years old. So there ha- yeah. I mean, it's just crazy.
1: No, I think, I think, uh, Miriam, I think people would say if you talk to people in Scientology, they would claim a parent's mm-hmm. signature has to go with, it or a parent has to go okay it. But we've heard stories. Uh, so many stories of people who come out who said, no, I was 13, I was 10, I was cornered in a room and told sign it. Absolutely. I was 13 years old when I
2: signed my c my billion years. That's right. I had no, I had no parent or guardian present. Um, they came to the ranch and they just left, um, read off a list of names and they said, these kids are joining the Sea org It was no <laughs> conversation. It was literally like, line up over here, if I call your name, you're off to the Sea org you're signing this contract. Um, there was no advocate present. So how can you? I mean, as a ten-year-old child, if everyone is surrounded with, by, and you don't have a lot of diversity in your experiences. Um, how can you? I mean, there's no one advocating for this child, this ten-year-old child. They they're assuming that this child is able to make adult choices at ten years old. This is what it tells you, like this, uh, you know. Children are to adults in their responsibility and in decision-making um, purposes and their ability to consent. And there is no one looking after the There's no one advocating on behalf of this kid. Yeah. So that's pretty alarming. Yes. Um, okay, so and also in the same re- reference that you write here in front of me, it says children are immortal beings in small bodies it would be condescending to assume they will automatically choose the CR. The Parents do not own their children, a small percentage. So, again, there's these two lines there, like, okay, let's give them the freedom of choice, but we're also saying that they're children, uh, so they're, they're immortal beings in small bodies, that they are not children. So it's very kind of mixed. It's a lot of double speak. Um, but also, Yes, absolutely. Um, it also goes on to say a small percentage, 2.5 percentage, in reference to children, are even suppressive, and would not qualify under any circumstances. Then it quotes LRH. It says, as LRH put it in FO, which is flag order 804, these are ethics. A Satan is simply a Satan. Body size has nothing to do with it. The trouble with children that it is a generality. That's the way children are. Um, a suppressive is a suppressive, whether he is big or small. We don't have suppressives in the field whether they are big or small, big or small. That get up, that treatment and STD get declared. There's a real uh, idea here, from LRA down through throughout all organizations, that these children are equal to, um, you know, they're just, they're able to make these decisions. They're spiritual beings. In small bodies, the body size has nothing to do with it. Um, and it's just, it's just not true. Um, right. Children are vulnerable, and they need to advocate for them to help them, to support them, to give them extra care. Um,
1: anyway. We've heard these stories before. People, There have been children who've become declared SP. And once they're declared S yes. they're kicked out on the street. They're not old enough to have jobs. They don't have money or nowhere to go. And they have no parents to care for them because the parents. They're not going to give up their eternity for the kid that just got killed.
2: Uh, yeah. Often, I mean, very often, the parents, um, they're so entrenched in, in Scientology or the funeralization. Um, that's just the way it is. And um, it's really awful. Yeah. There's just no...
1: No. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and also, um, like, reversely, a lot of parents were, I remember growing up hearing that, you know, this kid's parents would now just be a person. It was a real shame. Like, the kids carried that shame. Like, oh, my, my father's a mm. person. And uh, they had no contact with the parents um, growing up. So, I mean, this is really clever way of uh, time to eliminate, um, you know, if someone's trying to speak up and um, trying to make changes or there's some, you know, criticism there, they can just declare them a suppressive person and everyone just wipes them. And including, you know, they can remove a parent from their own child. So...
1: This is something common. They're a law
2: unto themselves, basically.
1: It's something common we hear over and over again is children are not children, excuse me, children are adults or, uh, or Thetons and little bodies or they've been around for millions of years. And, uh, with this always coming up, there's always that whole idea that, um, they're subject to the same rules and laws as any other adult and that they have the same responsibilities and it's kind of a torment, it's a torture, it's it's a trafficking of of sorts that doesn't get um, enough attention in the government and law, and in the media. i wonder wondering, Evonne, how long you've been you've been out for a little while, right?
2: Yeah, um, I'm not sure exactly, like, uh, because I left New York when I was 17, but then it took um, a number of years to process, it yeah. to separate myself from Scientology apologies, but fully and completely. And that process takes a long time. So, I would say I probably came about that around, let's say, 2009, um, around that time. Okay. So, between, like, um, 2008, 2009, 2010, but leading up to that, just before that, I definitely had started questioning things. Um, sorry, I would say 2008 would be, like, definitely okay. when it started pushing me because of the release of the Basics book and that was complete insanity. Right. Um, there should literally be a, a story of, like there should be a book that comes out just about that thing alone because it was incredibly abusive, um,
0: mm. and
2: that needs to be says more about. But, uh, yeah, on from that, I'd say, yeah, 2009 probably was um, very pivotal in 2010 as well. well that I means may... it's just gradual. It just goes over time.
1: Let me see if I'm on the same page with you on this, uh, my observations is... It seems to me that there was less attention on the subject of Scientology and abuses because we only had certain high-ranking members talking that had uh, left. So you're hearing about physical abuse, you're hearing about humiliation, you're hearing about the suicides and the mistreatment of people who need a real psychiatric and medical care. That was the bulk of what we heard about. It doesn't seem like until just recent years we're really starting to hear, and this is where you stepping up and where you being as, as brave as you are in and Sina and the others to speak, that we're now more aware than ever, and we weren't aware almost at all as a society in general, the amount of torture, abuse, and sexual abuse that happened to children in Scientology over the years. We're now just really getting wind of exactly how bad it was. And we might not even know how bad it was still.
2: Yes, yeah, I agree. It's definitely, uh, the, the full extent of it has not been um, discovered yet. Um, and what happened, and you're completely correct in saying that it's a very sort of recent thing, um, although we did have like, um, like Jenna Hill, or Jenna yes. Um and we had Astra Woodcraft and Zoe Woodcraft and their family, um, their father was involved. Uh, so we've had like a few very prominent um, children that I have spoken out. But they didn't have a lot of voices behind them in terms of other children who've grown up in it. Um, they were incredibly brave because today's sort of environment, um, there's so much more information out there now. There's so, much, so many more people coming out. It's an easier situation, I guess, to that degree than what they seem out in. Um, so I definitely applaud them for what they did. But, you know, as a, um, as a person sitting back with having had these experiences that I've had, and um, once I'd made my decision, I wasn't a part of the church anymore, and I would, you know, hear about these things that people speaking out, and I would sort of sit back and just go, you know, I'm so glad that they're saying something, I'm so glad that this is out there, I'm so glad that this is out there, there's so much more, I always think there's just so much more to cover. Um, and I was feel very frustrated and very conflicted with myself because I was so scared to come forward, but at the same time, I was, like, you know, rooting and cheering on these other brave people, but I wasn't lending my voice to it. So I was very conflicted in that feeling. Um, it was actually very upsetting for me, um, just, yeah, that frustration of um, being very scared, very intimidated about doing anything, and yet having so much to say. Um, so I think we'll see more and more people, you know, coming up through that process. And it does take years, like like victims in any, you know, especially child victims in any sort of um, case, it does take a long time to, or in a lot of cases, it takes a long time to get to that point where you can get to that position where you can speak out. So I certainly don't, you know, um, look down on people who haven't, who aren't where like, me and Simon are, but um, it just takes time, and it takes healing, and it takes processing, and there's, you know, everyone's journey is individual to them. But I think we'll find out. We'll keep There's more and more to come.
1: I, I really believe it's time for the government and the lawmakers and, and anybody who can make a difference in this to stop ignoring it. There's enough now.
0: Absolutely. There's
1: enough now. There shouldn't have to be more that have to come out. Uh, I believe everybody should follow the reports. Another one, like I said, has to be on TV or on the radio. But I, I feel like I, I, I feel like there's more than ever now a spotlight being put on with the whole Harvey Weinstein thing in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, more of a spotlight being put on how much abuse is being done sort of casually and not being uh, taken um, account of and more people speaking up and more people being heard about that. And just generally speaking, there's more of an eye on sexual abuse in general, which is a great thing, I think.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's a little bit disappointing that it has to kind of come to this. Like, i said before, I feel like I have to campaign my case right. to, to get somewhere with law enforcement. And it just shouldn't be that way. Um, but we're just not as far evolved. But like we're getting there now. We're starting to get there. And we're starting to have these conversations, um, which is very important. And there's still so much more to do. But I really come to the realization that we're not, as a society, where we should be on it. And that's why these conversations are being had, because we have to have them. We have to do it now, because we didn't do them in the past. So now we have to do them. We can't wait. And that's very important, um, and I'm glad it's being talked about, and I hope that with that sort of, um, those things being highlighted, that we can also talk about, you know, child sexual abuse victims. Yes. And that's been, you know, cases that have been solved and victims that have been silenced
1: by the Church of Scientology. There's just so much more to uncover here, you know. Not, not to be Bella's advocate too much, but do you get concerned about the overwhelming claims? You start to worry that there's going to be too many people making claims for the sake of jumping on the bandwagon, trying to get you know, lawsuit settlements out of celebrities? Because that that, I think those are the people, and the people who, who have that rape culture mentality of you should have said something in the first place, are people who really hurt people like you who really have something legitimate going on that really need the help.
2: Yeah, I guess, um, you know, I don't really think much on that. I feel like, um, you know, everyone has the right to their voice and to their experiences. And Mm -hmm. it's not up to me to determine whether a claim is valid or not. Right. Um, It just simply is not up to me. It's up to, um, well, ultimately, you know, the court and law enforcement. um, And unfortunately, they still have a long way to come as well. Yes it's not up to me to determine that. And every person has their voice and has a right to express that. Um, Yeah, and how do you... I mean, yeah, it's
1: just... It's tough, it's it's tough.
2: I'm not in a position to determine those things. I just don't, yeah, I just don't sort of think on them. Um, What I try to do is stick to my story like people sure. i have experience so i definitely try not i try to avoid like talking about
1: what other people have experienced okay um, yeah i think what's important is how it's received and how serious the charges are being taken i think i think you take every charge seriously and if you don't do that you're you're doing it wrong well.
2: yeah i think that you know due, due diligence has to occur um and unfortunately what we're finding with Scientology cases is that this due diligence is not is not occurring. That it's being hung up um, and it's not being processed as it should, which is very alarming. Um, I think there's a lot more information to find out on this relationship between the LAPD and Scientology. Um, we also have in um, Australia, there was a case, um, a young woman, Carmen Rainer, I don't know if you've come across this story, but um, Mm. we, it became very public, Um, she, herself and her mother were coached by Jan Eastgate, who is the the president of the, of CCHR, which is the Citizens Commission on Human Rights, Mm -hmm. that's a part of Scientology, and so when she was 11 years old, um, Jan Eastgate Coach herself and her mother. There's also a witness that has come forward. So you have three people telling the same story. You have Carmen Rainer, you have the mother, and you have um, this extra witness who was involved, had actually come into the room when this conversation was being had. Uh, there was child uh, protective services being involved, and Dan Eastgate coached um, them to deny that Carmen Rainer was sexually abused by her stepfather. Mm.
0: So
2: what had happened? Yeah, so um, so this so the stepfather actually what eventually walked into um, a local police station and said, oh, this is what I've done I'm sexual abuse my friend, this is my stepdaughter and he, um, he went to jail he was um, punished for his crime accordingly. Yeah. And yet, um what have got to light was um, what you know, the part that Jan East came. Took in it in trying to cover it up as right. a representative of Scientology. Um, and the police, um, so the charge was filed and Danny was arrested, but then it was dropped because the prosecution team had filed it under the incorrect law. So you should have a law that was applicable at that time. Right. They did it for a different law, maybe a more recent law. Um, they dropped it and then they just never picked it up again. And so Carmen Rainer was left with. You know, and the mother as well. It's just like they're just left with this unresolved um, thing, and the and another church official has gotten away with covering up child sexual abuse.
0: Yeah. And,
2: you know, law enforcement or the prosecution team involved are not doing anything about it. They're not picking it back up. So, so what we're seeing is that when we do have these brave victims coming forward, and you know doing their police report and getting the police involved and doing what, you know, what we what people say, you know, oh, we should have done this, we should have done that. So then when we do it, mm-hmm. we're still not being heard and we're still not getting our cases posted as they should. So it's a very, yeah, very...
1: You know, it, it, it's something with the, uh, the mentality. Uh, I've talked to other people about this, the... Uh, that that Scientology in itself has a bit of a rape culture to it. I feel. I think some people take exception to that comment, but I do believe there is a rape culture in Scientology. And uh,
2: there absolutely
1: is. You know, there
2: is. there's a victim blaming culture.
1: Right, which goes it goes beyond rape. It, it, it is exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's everything. Yeah. That or that ad, uh, not to add that paragraph in Dianetics. We've uh, I know you've talked about that quite a bit. Uh, lately and you've been really on top of that that is a kind of a a representation in my mind. That paragraph by itself, and tell me if I'm in alignment with saying this I think it represents, even though it's Dianetics, even though it's not all the policies which all lead back to this this paragraph represents almost everything there is to know about Scientology.
2: Yeah, I mean it really so it it really hits back to the fact that um, this idea that a child is you know, spiritual being, and that they can receive any kind of experience, um, that they're, they're not a body, so age is not relevant to them. Um, this is incredibly harmful. But also, it's talking about the matter of consent as well. So even if this person, you talks talk about a seven-year-old child, mm-hmm. even, if, if, even if he's referring to actually an adult, so let's say we change that to an adult, and we say the woman shudders because the man kissed her, kissed her even passionately. The fact is that she shudders. And he's Mm -hmm. saying that this is an erroneous reaction. But it's valid. If a person has a reaction to something, you know, that's a valid response. Um, But here he's talking about a child and he's he's talking about a man kissing her even passionately and that she should not react to that she's having an incorrect incorrect reaction to it. Um, It's very alarming. and it does go back to, yeah, Alan Hubbard's idea that is sort of entrenched throughout all of his policies that there is no relevance of age to a person, basically. And vulnerable children are not treated as fat. They are treated as adults. Um, and as you said, it's like an insight. It's just an impact into the mindset that's behind these abusive policies that dictate the treatment of children within psychology. Um, it's an indication of a greater problem
1: uh, I think uh, absolutely because the argument's been uh, the argument's been raging online you've seen and you've, you've, you've had some arguments I've had some arguments over it basically yeah. I, I think what happens is and I think this is with a lot of ex-scientologists particularly scientologists who are very involved who Take exception to it because, well, I wasn't looking at children that way. I didn't think of children that way. I'm not a pedophile, so that's not true. Well, no, I mean, I understand you want to protect your own image, but what's written is written, and it's clear. And the argument on their side would be this is not about child sexual contact. This is about engrams. Uh, it's only about engrams. It's about shuddering because something that happened in a past life made you do that. that you he could have used any example on God's green earth. It could have been a lion charges at you and you, and you jump. <laughs> it could have been a car accident and you brace the steering wheel. It didn't have to be a grown man kissing a child. And there is this theme all the way through. Everything that I've seen, now remember, I'm not an expert. I've only been doing this like a year. But everything I've seen is about children not being children. And a lot of talk, especially like in the sex check questions, about sexual conduct. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that's done with children and adults.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think what it is is like, this is the LRH sort of mind control. Like, this is the depth that it goes to. So that even a person who actively speaks out against Scientology, at times they can't sort of come to grips with you know, something that someone uh, someone else would see blatantly is wrong. Well. They've had to rationalize that and force feed that into their minds um, over such a long period of time. So, I'm not talking about that particular paragraph, I'm talking about in general LRH writing. Um, And at many terms, they've had to rationalize certain things to make them fit, um, things that contradict each other. Um, I remember bringing up something to a supervisor and saying, Well, LRH says this here, but back there he said that and it contradicts. And he said, Well, reread it and find your misunderstood words find out what you don't understand. LRH <laughs> always makes sense, but LH is the word. So if you're forced by this, and the more trained somebody is, so for example, if someone's trained up all the way to be a course supervisor who then goes on to train other people, I mean, and they've done that for years, that's the depth of how entrenched Scientology is into their sort of fiber. But And they may not have come to that yet, to, to that conclusion of understanding of how far that goes Um, that there's more sort of unraveling to be done. And, you know, again, it takes time. Um, But the thing with Alan Hubbard is he didn't blatantly say, hey, everyone, here's an announcement. It's okay to go around and try and make out with little girls. Um, all you men over there go and do that So like, he didn't say that because we can immediately reject that we can say "Hey, that's wrong." but what he did do is he put it into his writing he weighed little things and he um, you know through um, you know he's an incredibly he's incredibly talented writer he's the
1: most was he awesome. <laughs> no, was he talented he, he was
2: very intelligent and he was very um, I mean he was uh, I, got, I think he has, um, he's a very intelligent person, and um, he was also, I think his manipulations he's weaved into his writing. So while this is one paragraph that's in you know, quite a lengthy book, um, it's sort of like towards the middle to the end of the book, and um, he's weaved that in there. So what he's doing is he's just sort of weaving these concepts through your mind, like things such as, you know, children or not children, um, and in order to, you know what I mean, like you're not just going to, if you've come through all that whole process, you're not going to be able to reject something that he says. Right. This is the brainwashing, this is the mind control, this is him sort of permeating into your your thought process. Um, and yes, I do understand, like, people who have been associated with Scientology, they want to reject that because, um, you know, they themselves object to things like child sexual abuse. They talk mm-hmm. quite passionately about that. Why would they, of course, they never admitted, but they never accepted that that was okay. And just by reading that, they didn't accept that that's okay. And I get that. But if someone else reads it, who's not had any Alan Hubbard, you know, training, they read that and they say that's wrong.
1: You, you see it. Because they just know it.
2: Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yes, I have been involved in like some debates re- recently on the topic. Unfortunately, like I mean, I'm not even proud of the fact that it is even a debate. Uh, Shouldn't be. Subject. Right. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the whole thing, um, it was very upsetting for me. Um, it was very personal to me Um, based on my own personal experiences, something that's all very passionately about. Um, And I did speak to, um, I'm currently with you in that special duty counseling, right? I spoke to my counselor and she said, you know, you're very far advanced in your thinking about, uh, you know, you process all this Scientology stuff. And she just wanted me to realize that people who come through Scientology, they may not be where I am and um, just to understand that there's more education. Like, and that's my angle, is like, let's just educate more. Let's just put more information out there so that more people can understand, um, yeah.
1: Well, good, that's
0: good.
1: What can do. Yeah. That's all you can do. I think it's amazing what you've done so far, and uh, I commend you for everything that you're doing, because I don't think anyone wants to talk at all about it, and <laughs> you talk about it uh, more often these days. Um, You know, I are you worried about? uh, Go ahead. Okay. I
2: was just gonna say on that, like the the difficulty to talk about this. Um, I remember as a child, like I could not tell anyone. I just couldn't even get the words out of my mouth that it it had even happened
1: to me. Um. Was that more shock or?
2: I just. I just couldn't, like, it's a physical thing, like, I could not yeah. bring myself to, even though I wanted to, like, that desire was there, I couldn't say the words, um, I think the first person I told was, um, when I was in the school, and I was 15, um, I know that I, I did tell Sina, so it was either Sina, um, that I told first, or I told this boyfriend but I think it was the boyfriend who was able to get it and then I was around this for the same time Um, I think when I was um, 15 was when I was this boyfriend and he I opened up to him and I said my dad discussed me Uh, I said it in a very roundabout way and he was like okay and he understood what happened so I actually didn't even have to say the words and we sort of like had a very roundabout conversation where he was able to understand what happened and then think as a result of bit I think as a result of that I was able to talk up. Um, yeah, or perhaps I told her before that I just can't remember 100%. But yeah, it was very it did come up in auditing sessions as well. Um, and again it was a massive struggle, like you just sit there for ages and ages and I you know, they'd be like, okay, you know, tell me and I it was just hard to even get those words. Um, so, as I said, like, it's a long process to get to where I am to be willing to talk about it. But even, I'm not even talking about what exactly happened to me in, in describing instances. Like, I definitely avoid that. Right.
1: Like, oh, I yeah. don't
2: want to remember. I don't want to, um, it gives me a physical effect.
0: Like, okay.
2: I've, it's painful, and I can't. So even to this day, while I will talk about all the issues surrounding um, these things that I'm passionate about, but I, I still struggle to ha- um, you know, get into what actually happens
1: in any... And you, things, you, know? you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: do you worry about the children today in the new uh, the Mace Kingsley uh, Family Center? I know they're being audited and purified and you know, purification read down things and they're auditing babies. Um, I don't know if any of the people associated with the ranches that did these things are associated with this school.
2: Yeah, um, I do, and um, I'm sure that the the, the ranches and these institutions, and the Scientology institutions for children, um, have come quite a long way. We have public, especially public awareness, um, and legal systems becoming more aware of what's going What has gone on. So they're just simply not going to get away with things that they used to get away with. But they will change things to that degree. Um, I worry about it in terms of grooming the children mm-hmm. to become fewer members, to um, you know, follow on into Scientology. Um, Alan Hubbard, I think, was very aware of, you know, get them in young. It's definitely, definitely, um, yeah. So, so that, that is something that I'm concerned about. Also, with the um, you know they're not allowed to have kids. Here's a reference in front of me. they it says. Um, they're talking about you know. Okay, so sorry. Just this is reference. It says. Um, okay. Um, so this line here is now correctly been determined that individuals who put children above their over their duties must now. The what it's talking about preferring children to the organ that's you know, not allowed to, to leave. But then it goes on to say, um, there is no lack of couples bearing children. But right. In the past half century alone, the planetary the planetary population has tripled. We do not need to create them in the field when doing so endangers our purpose and mission. So not only is it against our purpose and mission to have children, it endangers it, um, but also. They're saying, like, we're not looking for our next generation through the C organization. Now, the, that is the question. Where are they looking for that? And that would be through these Scientology schools um, and through these, these ranchers and these um, programs um, that are targeted towards children. That is where they're looking for their resource now that they don't have the cadet organizations anymore.
1: Yeah, I imagine now they're not encouraging C org members to have abortions. They probably still. It's probably still inferred, kind of generally, like, oh, you have an abortion or you're out, but they're not throwing them out of Scientology completely. So you leave the you're right out of the Sea org. Will they let you? I wonder if they'll let you back in when your children are over the age of six or ten. I wonder if that's how they're doing that because um, they need the children to sustain their their organization at this point.
2: Absolutely. I think that now it's um, nowadays it's the child has to be sixteen. Where, if the parents want to join this field. Interesting. Um, yeah. So that's changed a lot. And again, this is some public pressure. This is from public awareness. Um, this is from people speaking out. And, and it creates an effect on the internal environment in Scientology. That's quite so important to speak out and make these issues known. Um, but yeah, so it has changed quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so as I said like where they're getting the resources for the children would be through these like psychology groups. Um and not really expecting it from the old members to create that, to create new children. And um, I would say that the atmosphere uh, whether or not there's still abortions going on, I don't know. because um, again there's so much awareness about that now. But um, definitely, it would be frowned upon if you left because
1: you were having kids, because you wanted to have kids, or because you felt pregnant. Like right. I mean, <sighs> I, well, I mean, the thing is with the, uh, well, with that, like I said, it seems like they would need those children to sustain, because like, there's not a lot of walk ins coming in. And Yeah. It seems like it's a bit of a catch 22. I, I don't imagine uh, this can go on much farther.
2: Well, here's an interesting thing, Chris. Is like, how we're able to stop people going into Scientology is we're getting the word out there, and that's largely through the internet. Um, also through, like, news outlets, and TV and stuff like that. But um, And actually, this I'm talking about before, the MMA, because i um, not sure because that's on a whole other level. But, you know, who is, who is not looking at the internet, and I'll tell you who isn't.
1: Scientology.
2: Most yeah. likely, right, if they're in Scientology schools, and all their friends are Scientologists, and their parents are Scientologists, and they go into Scientology orgs on a regular basis, they're involved in that community, those events, and everything, that's very entrenched in their culture. They will not, they will be the ones that aren't looking on the internet for this information. They're not going to Google Scientology, and they're not going to Google Alan Hubbard. So, they only have one flow of information. They are the primary target for this organization, without a doubt. 100% without a doubt. Uh, beyond that, I would say sort of like um, countries that maybe are not as exposed to it. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty, sort of like a worldwide phenomenon uh, about information against Scientology. But, yeah, so... Yeah, these children
1: would be the primary target. Okay. I mean, I don't care how much is better now. they come a long way. They treat Cedars the different. to treat kids different. to treat the schools different. Yeah. They treat, you know, the RPF might be gone. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. You know, the whole, who knows what's going on with the whole. Uh, the ranches are gone. Oh, that's great and all. But yeah, all this stuff that happened over the last 30, 40 years yeah. still happened. <laughs> it still happened it needs to be it needs to be addressed and it needs to be uh it uh, needs to be some justice for that all right so okay. uh i i think we might be ready to move on to another subject <laughs> if you if you're ready
2: <laughs> um let me just... i want
1: to make sure you hit everything you want to hit on here
2: okay well i wanted to go over this um Actually, I think I think we've covered it pretty well. Honestly, there's so much information about um, this upbringing through the pedagogues and being raised and bring, um to these members. Um, it's basically a matter of Googling. Like, Google these references. You'll see the actual signology, policy letters, flag orders, um, written references that describe how children should be treated and the separation between um, the children. Actually, that is something I wanted to get into. but let we'll if, yeah, if anyone wants to Google, there's plenty of information there. But I will say, um, I've, I've highlighted so much, so I just don't how much we can cover it. OK. Um, <laughs> whatever,
1: whatever you okay. feel is right.
2: Yeah. Um, OK, here's a reference to what we were talking about before.
1: Okay. I feel like you over-prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I totally
2: did. I totally did. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have an opportunity to talk. You like, cover everything. Um, which almost means you can't do everything. But, okay, so actually, here's a good point. So here is um, something that's written, but I'll remember the rest of it But it's basically a policy about trying to, meet, and this is ultimately the date, 1984. So this year I was born. Um, they're trying to create something that parents liaison liaison community, So it's basically like this sort of body that comes between the parents and the church. What well, is the church body, but um, like an internal church body. And that is how the parents have their line into. So they can't. They don't have a line directly into their child. and They don't have a line directly into the child that or the childcare organization. Like I do. Like my kids are in childcare today, for example. I had a complaint, you know, I can walk straight in there and say, hey, look, why is this?
0: Mm -hmm. All
2: parents didn't have that right. In fact, they weren't allowed to. And, not only that, here it says, says anyone complaining about child care, education, or conditions who has not used and supported the Parent Liaison Committee, they have to use and support the Parent Liaison Committee, may be called before a court of ethics. Wow. If you have an independent complaint, as a parent, which you have a right to, and you want to voice it, if you're found to be talking in that way and complaining about childcare, care, education, or commissions, you may be called before a court of ethics. The charge in all such cases is spreading discontent to encourage disaffection.
0: Um, yeah.
2: And then, here's another thing. Um, any parent may submit CSW, which is completed staff work. So it's like a request to be reviewed, basically for approval to get something done. Um, so they may submit CSW to the Parent Liaison Committee of their org for improvement of conditions of their children. Such proposals must be within the economical capabilities of the org and are forwarded to their CO, the standing officer, who then in turn proposes. So he has to pr- approve it. He then in turn proposes to CSW to the CO's council for approval. Hmm. So the parents has to go through all these different levels of approval and um, write a formal written yeah. request, which can be denied at any point through right. this process. And not only even just to get it to the committee, and then the committee is determining it on economical sort of factors, as they can easily just throw it out and go, well, whatever. So you literally, the parents do not have that direct right to their child.
1: It's like they don't want to deal with it. It's this you know, it's, it's not it's not generating revenue. We're not going to really be bothered with this. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you want to make it so difficult that you give up or you don't even bother?
2: Absolutely. And meantime, you're sort of working around the clock. Um, God. You don't have time to think about your children. Um, okay, so here's another one. This is 1977. It says, um, and this is where I want to mention how the physical separation of children and babies, okay, um, with their parents. So, um, well, being kept apart from their parents, okay. Children, including babies, this is called Babies and Children at Cedar's Complex, which was the living um, I guess complex for your members. Um Children, including babies, may visit their parents for short periods only and under the supervision of the parents, but may not go into org areas. So that's the general staff area. Babies stay at the cadet think about that. Babies stay at the cadetor. Mm. They're allowed with their parents for short periods only. They may not sleep overnight at the feeders. So they're not they don't even get babies don't get overnight stays with their parents. I mean that is
0: just yeah.
2: Um mm. Nor may they stay in the parent's post area during the day. The cadet has been established to look after the children of field parents so that the parents can do their posts without interruption and worry about the children and the children get proper supervision and care. So to this point, a baby being at the complex and even setting up a nursery here for babies until they were old enough to walk was buried with LH. She's not okay this and this. So this is for, um, Okay. He not okayed this and stated, quote, babies are cadets, they say at the cadet uh, Okay. This so obviously so here <laughs> some, some parents were trying to keep their baby with them. Yep. They've come out with a policy and said, no, you're going to stick your baby in the cadet order.
1: So. I don't mean for this to sound like a great sudden epiphany, but this is all intentional. This is by design so that the children, as they grow up, become beholding to the organization.
2: And um, this is, says, any says, any babies currently staying at feeders are to be immediately routed into the and the above standing order enforced. Hmm. Hmm. And then it says, this is to the benefit of both children and the parents involved, plus that of org production. Yeah. I mean, it's ultimately about org production. Yeah, that no last part. It's a physical separation, um, and it's the organization being involved in the care um, even in the care of babies above uh, parents. Man. Yeah. Um, here's one legal personnel requirement for cadets. This is um, nine February nineteen eighty. Your um, policy and it says it talks about the legal ratio. So it says in California the legal personnel requirements are covered again, 1980. So in California, the legal personnel requirements are covered in the state social welfare code, Title 22. The various ratios for staff of children per Title 22 take into account daycare and nightcare and auxiliary various personnel. Um, taking all the areas into account, the legal ratio of staff owed to cadets for children works out uh, to one staff for every 3.5 children from that work. So saying you know, based on this, Um, It's worked out that there should be one staff member for every three and a half child. Um, Now, as I said, (laughs) when I was there... That was not... Maybe five, I don't know, it was over 100 kids. Um, Yeah, so obviously that that didn't happen.
1: That did not happen. (laughs)
2: Um, And then, okay... This policy says, children as assets. In the American society exists a degraded contempt for children. Adults regard them as dear little cute things. God damn them. This attitude is not allowed in the Sea Org. The young people of the society are an asset and must be cared for and properly brought up as valuable beings. Those who decide to join the Sea Org and be part of the team must be
1: allowed to do their best. Does he actually say God uh, damn them in the policy? policy?
2: Little, this is what American society says.
1: Here's little cute things, goddamn them. Okay. <laughs> um, but Okay, so I had time for today, guys. Uh, again, next week's Thanksgiving. You guys have a good holiday in two weeks. Come back Thursday for Tara Riley Part Two, Friday for Mary and Francis Part Two, of course. Uh, there's a lot of names I can't remember who came out with minimum support um, the way Miriam and Sina have that, that I don't mention in this interview. I don't want them to go you know, unrecognized. Of course, a lot of brave women before them that just weren't heard or weren't heard enough, didn't have enough support behind them, like Jenna Miscavige, as a matter of fact. So I um, so don't want to leave that out. But, yeah, next week, uh, have a great holiday. So until two weeks from now, I'll stay connected, and that about sums it up. If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says don't listen to your mum and dad, don't talk to your mum and dad, that's bad. Yeah wrong. Absolutely believe this on bullshit. Now does that mean he believes it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yes, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. Do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is a culture in Scientology that... Children are not children. So, yeah.